Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. So Taylor Hall isn't an Edmonton Oiler, but the Edmonton Oilers broke their four-game losing streak with a absolutely nail-biting uh, 2-1 win over the Dallas Stars, a really, really tough hockey team to beat. Yeah, They were uh, buzzing like hornets all night long trying to get that goal. They got down 2-0, um, and they were just they were just kept coming and coming and coming, played really hard physical hockey, but the Oilers met them. They met them almost at every turn until the last two minutes when there was a number of breakdowns, kind of scary breakdowns that we're going to get into. So, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. We'll go with two good things each, though, because it was such a fantastic game. What's your first good thing? My first good thing is the Oilers actually jumping out in front and scoring two goals in the first period that happened to be just barely enough. It was the same formula as their last win against LA Kings when they scored two power play goals in the first period. And they nursed a 2-0 lead late, and then they gave one up, and then they hung on for dear life down the stretch. And this was almost identical to that. Other than this was the Dallas Stars, not the LA Kings. Uh, and they can really bring out, bring the heat, as you uh, pointed out, with... Uh, a couple of uh, a couple of uh, wonderful point men in John Klingberg and Miro Heiskanen. And oh, Heiskanen's your fantastic. Man, Jamie Oleksiak, that you were talking up <laughs> years ago, and there he is on the ice, six on five as the game winds down, and he was dangerous. He was uh, he was involved in that game in, in all aspects. So Bruce, I was hat, finally hat vindicated to an old David Staples uh, I, favorite. I, had, I know you took I had, a lot of grief. I took a lot of grief, and justifiably years. so. It was one of those uh, learning lessons where I, I'd, I'd only seen him play. I'd only seen Alexiak play um, a handful of games in the HL, but he looked fantastic as a 20-year-old in the HL. Mm-hmm. And I suggested a trade, which was probably not. It was it was dumping Sangani's horrible contract, but also trading the pick that turned out to be Darnell Nurse. So Jamie Alexiak. Um, mm-hmm hasn't outperformed Darnell Nurse in his career. But I'll tell you what, Jamie Alexiak looked fantastic that game. That's the player that I thought he could be in the NHL. Tonight, that's the player that I thought, there, there he is. That, there's that guy. Finally. Anyway, to back, to, back to the Oilers' goals. <laughs> uh, the both, not only did they score two goals in the first period, they scored two beautiful goals in the first period. Two gorgeous passing plays. Uh, four-way passing plays in each case. One at even strength, one on the power play. And the one on even strength, uh, well, it started with a with a gorgeous stretch pass by Ethan Bear to Joachim Nigard at the far blue line, and Nigard took it in. And he he, he semi won, or at least he fought even in a battle until Cassian and McDavid came in to help him out and establish possession. And once those guys got it, they worked it back to the point. Bear whipped it over to Nurse on the other point, and Nurse. I love the play Nurse made. He just held the puck for an extra split second, waited for the passing lane to open up, and slipped a gorgeous cross-ice seam pass to McDavid. And then McDavid did the McDavid thing and, and uh, made the goalie think he was going to shoot, and he pulled it across then to Cassian, and he basically had the wide-open net from about 15 feet out and made no mistake. But to me, honestly, the key p- pass in that sequence was uh, Darnell Nurse who, for all of the criticism he gets for being a poor passer, sure seems to come up with some pretty sweet passes from time to time. That was one of them. That, uh, was, uh, that was a really nice play all around. Yeah, uh-huh. super play. 
And then this, the second goal on the power play, and they, you know, they got the power play, and uh, of course we got Kevin Quinn talking about how the orders are thirty-two point eight percent, and uh, and they're raving about the power play, and I'm going, okay, here's the kiss of death again, and that's about as long as he had to talk about it was about as long as it took him to put the puck in the net, and again, uh, beautiful four-way passing play coming, well from the one face-off to get the puck back to the point safely. Uh, Drysdale to, to Nuge to Clefbaum, and then Clefbaum and McDavid played give and go a couple times, uh, and then McDavid went straight into the edge of the crease where Alex Chason had set up shop, and Chason just uh, just pulled a no look, obviously a, a, a set play, pulled a no look pass between his legs and right onto the tape of Drysdale on the far side, wham into the net, beautiful goal. Like, he really couldn't execute it much better than that, other than Ben Bishop didn't like the fact that Chason had one foot in the blue paint, but hey, too bad. Yeah, I'm surprised, you know, a Kevin, little surprised they didn't challenge it, but they didn't. Kevin Quinn's other favorite kiss of death is the, um, when the owners have scored the first goal in a game, they are 14, like, I went up 14 wins, five losses, whatever it is, and I just think, like, ugh, it just, it's just, just kind of there's a there's three or four of them that he keeps bringing up and i just think and i know you shouldn't be superstitious right his job is just to state the facts that's just a simple fact but as a fan it feels like oh you are totally jinxing us buddy okay bruce my good thing um my first good thing is well it's the two it's the tower of power i'll go with adam larson on defense Mm -hmm. bruce uh when Adam Larson has not been bringing his A game in the last while, but in these last, since he's come back for injury, he has slowly worked his way up, and he's starting to look like the Oilers' best defenseman in the last few games, and tonight especially, he was just he played a flawless defensive game, pretty much. I don't know if we tagged them for any mistakes. The Oilers were, had five Grade A chances to eleven for Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we take uh, Larson on any making making mistakes on any of them, which is pretty outstanding for a defenseman. He's just so, you know, it's it's nice to be reminded of what he actually brings to the game when he's bring, playing his best because he makes smart plays with the puck. He is fundamentally sound on defense and he's vicious. So those three things make for an outstanding NHL defenseman. And you know, that's I, we haven't been saying that. I haven't been saying that about Larson. In fact. A month ago, I was criticizing him for being mm-hmm. a statue and not moving his feet, yes. which is which was exactly the case. Yeah, uh, not even a month ago, but he's he's found yeah. his game. I would say even in the last week, but he's yeah, played just three or four real good games in a row now. I thought he was excellent. I was sitting behind the Oilers' net last game and uh, for two periods, and uh, Larson caught my eye for just having a real, real solid game throughout, and more of the same tonight. Man, he finishes his checks, doesn't he? And yeah, he'll he sure take does. this guy all the way to the boards and he doesn't stop when he gets there either. <laughs> Hopefully he can keep playing. I, th- I think the key for him is to be healthy, which is hard when you're, when you play as, as hard as he does, you know, that, that uh, Jason Smith game has been a comparison in the past. And when you're playing that tough, it's, mm-hmm. you're going to get banged yeah. up and bruised and, and that's what happens to him. He's got a bad back, but um, that's just fantastic to see. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the hope, my hope, has always been the Oilers. We, we always knew New Jersey was likely to get a win out of the Taylor Hall trade. And I think overall they did. They got an MVP season out of them and two kind of injury full seasons and then a third of a season. And they got a fairly okay-ish return in a trade for him. But 
Um, you know, the Oilers can still get a win out of this deal, Bruce. It's still not too late. They got a win in 2016-17 when Adam Larson was one of the key players in leading them in the playoffs. And if Adam Larson does that again this year, and then he's got another year on his deal, mm-hmm. suddenly, suddenly when you – that hasn't happened yet, though. But right. let, if, if that were to happen, yeah, well, this, you'd have to reevaluate the trade, which Shirelli's been dragged looked- through the mud for it for years, except for that first year. And it's too early to say that – that this is what's going to happen, but there's a possibility that the Oilers really could get an overall win. And that's not taking away the New, Jer- New Jersey did have that one fantastic season out of Hall. But if we can get two, you know, two good seasons out of Hall, maybe three or out of Larson, that'll work. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, well, three games in a row is a good start, but it's a long, <laughs> long way to go. But he looks, I mean, he just looks like a totally different man than he did like even two weeks ago. Yeah, he looks confident. He looks he looks strong. He looks uh, you know energetic, uh, moving his feet as you say, and he's just starting to take command out there, like the the big experienced veteran uh, defenseman that he is. And and you know I mean when I say veteran, he's still what twenty seven years old now. Yeah, I think he just turned twenty seven. Same age as Nuge, right? Uh, yeah, same draft as Nuge, and he's a couple of months, few months older. Uh, anyway, he's uh, uh, he should really be at somewhere near the peak of his career just he sh- now. He should be right now at the peak, right? And this is it. So it's so, good to see it. So yeah, I, I love it, and uh, I, I I love the the old goalie in me. I love that style of player. That'll uh, that'll <laughs> challenge the guy with the puck, uh, get a stick on the puck, but also take a big piece of the guy and. You know, take them down from time to time, and and uh, sometimes you know, take, rack up a few penalties, cost to do business. But uh, that then, as a goalie, your job is to make the save and bail him out. I love right? those demon who tough in front of the net. And uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. I've been talking about this uh, audio book I'm listening to, Scotty uh, Ken Dryden's mm-hmm. book on Scotty Bowman, and there's a yes. large section there on Doug Harvey. And mm-hmm. and the interesting thing about Doug Harvey is. Apparently, he never, Ken Dryden says he didn't go in the corners. When he was out there, it was Dollard Saint Laurent who would go in, in either corner. And Harvey would stand in front of the net because his philosophy was they can't score from the corner. They're going to have to come to the net, front of the net sooner or later. And when they do, here I am. And he was apparently a master of shutting them down there. And this is, I think, the Chris Russell game, in, tough in front of the net. And it's the Larson game. Uh when they're both at the top of their games. And Russell defensively has been more on top of his game than Larson has been for the last few years, but good to see Larson come on. What is your other good thing? Not that either of them will ever be mistaken for the great Doug Harvey. Not that, to be be honest, but I mean, but any kind of comparison to that style of game, because Harvey was uh, ahead of his time and absolutely I could spend a whole podcast talking about Doug Harvey, but uh, we will, uh, Talk about my other good thing, which is Mikko Koskinen and how he had his teammates' backs, uh, and especially in the biggest moments in the dying uh, couple minutes of the game uh, when uh, it was all hands on deck for the Stars, and all of a sudden the Oilers, who had been in command for about 40 minutes, really, uh, keeping things clean, simple, moving the puck out of their own end, getting it deep, keeping it deep. All of a sudden, they couldn't seem to make a play to get the darn thing over their own blue line. And uh, Dallas got one, of course, uh, with the six on five, and there was still a lot of time on the clock. And Koskinen stood tall, and he needed to be tall. Two tall goes in the NHL going tonight, the two two-meter men, Ben Bishop and Mikko Koskinen. 
and Koskinen needed every centimeter uh, of his 200 centimeters to get the tip of his blocker on the shot that Corey Perry got off the rebound off the end boards with 19 seconds to go in the third period. If Corey Perry, of all people, scores there, I'm not sure what I would have done, but it wouldn't have been good. Koskinen, <laughs> Bruce, Koskinen Koskinen's been good saved. in about four mm-hmm. out of five games this year that mm-hmm. he's played, maybe even five out of six. He's been fantastic, you know, he, oh. overall this year. He's He's been... He's been uh, one of the Oilers' three stars of the year, probably, or in the in the top four players, and tonight was another example of that. He just, he just, I just had a feeling he was going to have a good game, and you know, you never know things can happen, but he well, really this, did. He was just fantastic. This was a save that belongs on the highlight reels, just by virtue of how good of a save it was. But when when you um, uh, put that on top of the situation of when the save was made, 20 seconds left, preserving a one-goal lead against a, uh, you know, a chaos situation. I mean, the man was gasping for breath by the end of the game. It was like two <laughs> minutes of nonstop action. And, you know, you don't think a goalie's getting tired, but, I mean, that's a long friggin' shift. And, uh, you know, and the puck didn't get out at Edmonton's end often or for very long. And it was just flying around. I mean, the Stars had it on a string. They had those point men. They had the puck zipping around. They have, you know, Pavelski. They got Radulov, Sagan, Ben. I mean, those guys can play. And they had the puck. And poor old Koskinen was just, you know, and he was bent over yeah. double when the siren went off. But uh, with a W in his pocket and hats off to him, he played great. That, that, uh, Six on five from the stars were so were so good, so dominant that the Oilers didn't even have a chance to blow an empty net. Uh, chance, Bruce. That's how good the Dallas was out there. Um, so I, I'm going to go to my second good thing and then segue right away into the bad thing because so so the the good thing I think was just the defensive play in the slot and uh, Dallas did have a lot of chances, but um, not a ton of really open looks from the slot area where certain centers uh, named Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Connor McDavid in recent, in the, in the last month have been, frankly, atrocious covering in the slot area. They, they, their game has fallen apart defensively. But tonight, it looked like everyone had it going. And I, I liked going into the game, the fact that they put all three at center, put them at center, Tell them that's your job. And so do your job in, in the defensive zone. Don't get confused. Don't get thinking you're a wing and you got to break out on the attack. When the puck's in front of your net, you, you take somebody. You cover someone. You know, you help out those defensemen and help out the goalie in front of your net. And they did it all night long. Not just them, of course. Gaetan Haas was fantastic. That that line was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Nuge's line wasn't fantastic, but I thought Ryan Nugent Hopkins actually did a good job covering in the slot generally speaking. So um, there wasn't as many of those, you know, 30 to 50% scoring chance shots. There was lots of 20, 25% scoring chance shots, but there was only a few that were in the 30 to 50 range, like Corey Perry's one right at the end there and and the goal that was scored and, and maybe one or two others. Um, so that's what the goalie needs. He needs half a chance. You know, he needs, if, he, he, if Koskinen's facing those 25%, Grade A chances, he's going to stop almost all of them because that's how he's playing right now. So the defensive play in the slot from the centers was outstanding until, and now I segue into my bad thing, the last 
two minutes of the game. And I, first, I, all due respect to Dave Tippett, who's obviously a really great coach. I don't know why you're putting McDavid in that line out there. That line has been so weak defensively in the last month. Why are you putting them out there in the last two minutes of the game? And what happens? Almost immediately, uh-huh. they get scored. McDavid is McDavid's puck watching. I I thought Drysdale could have been down the boards for their helping out. And McDavid is puck watching, and then it's a two on one down low, and they score. And then they're out there again. McDavid's out there again. That's his man, Corey Perry. You know, he he he's he was the last man back there. And what is he doing? He's watching. He's puck watching because this is what Connor McDavid does, and it works. Whatever he does, it it works really really well. But it doesn't always work on defense right, right now. And if Corey Perry had scored, that he would have been responsible for the last two goals in the last two minutes. That's how close he came to being the goat this game. So I don't think he should. Like honestly, you got lots of players to put out there. You got lots of players to put out there in that moment. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put them out there together, McDavid together, and Drysdale. Together is yeah a bit of a thing, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's my bad thing. Was, was, they, was I remember, bad. yeah, they, it was like just under three minutes left and Dallas came out of their own end. And Kevin Quinn says, now here's McDavid with dry settle for the first time all night. And I just said to my wife, why? Why change now? And <laughs> it wasn't 15 yeah, really, seconds why? later, the puck was in the freaking net. and They were right in the middle of it. Oh, man. Well, I mean, McDavid, like you say, I mean, he got. He went. He kind of floated over to the left wing, or yeah, uh, the offensive left wing boards. And then when the puck got dug out of the boards, instead of hustling back to the net front, he kind of pulled up and watched as uh, Sagan tried to make a pass across. The nurse tried to make the hero play and blocked the pass, and he got a bad bounce and went right back to Sagan. Well, if McDavid had been moving his feet, he would have been on Sagan by then. And still, instead, he's still five feet away watching. While uh, Sagan shooting the puck in the net, and that's that's just poor defense. I mean, uh, McDavid had a very fine game tonight, but that wasn't a fine moment. He was fantastic all night long. Mm-hmm. Actually, I just thought he was flying out there. He's making great yeah. plays. He led his line better than any other player mm-hmm. uh, led his line. He he set up Cassian. He was he, he set up Chase on on the and then Drysaitel scored. I mean, he was crucial on the two goals. He was flying. He was playing great hockey. He was playing strong defensive hockey when he was the lone center on his on his line, even because he gets the puck and he advances it right. He doesn't, so he's not really used to that that kind of defensive structure, you know, where he is the kind of the like another defenseman taking someone in the slot. I just don't think he's experienced at it, and uh, he, he probably didn't spend a lot of time doing that in minor hockey. I'm guessing he was in the offensive end the whole time, so it's not a strength. Why are you putting a player out there, coach? Um, where that's not his strength. So th- I, I would really ask, put, Tippett, why are you doing that? You want your best players on the ice at the end, but I, you know, maybe your, your you want best your best defensive, defensive players. players on the ice at the end. <clears throat> and it's not like those guys are going out there and just filling the empty net, because the Oilers, I don't understand it, David. They pull their goalie, and the other team just grabs the puck and scores right away. The other team pulls their goalie, and it's freaking hang on Harvey for two or three or 25 minutes while we you know, just sort of almost close our eyes and well maybe we're sending the wrong players out there almost every single time how about that and we have been for a while like let's get the let's get the penalty killers whoever they are put them up like put five defensemen out there archibald that made the key defensive play in the last second you know shea and archibald and not not junior era but shea and archibald and you know even or dry and dry settle like i don't mind one of those guys 
part of the crew, but they just seem to when it's when they get together, they start to it's like they're thinking, okay, let's go, let's go score, and that's the wrong thought at that moment. Bruce, what is your number? Okay, uh, well, did my, you do your bad thing? I, well, I didn't do my bad thing, and it kind of it's kind of a bad thing and a number because the number is so amazing that it made it my bad thing. All right, okay, uh, and this is a well, uh, no, this this is my bad thing. The the, uh, the uh, flow of play against the Nugent Hopkins Kara Chase online, and I'll I'll start with the extreme example of Jujar Kara, who when he was on the ice in ten minutes and forty six seconds. Shot attempts were one for Edmonton and 23 for Dallas. 23 to one. And I would say uh, that part of that is on Mr. Kara himself for his hopeless puck clearing. <laughs> he gets the puck inside his own blue line and he just stands and he waits for someone to come and take it off him, it seems like. Like, do something. Like, at least get it over the line and then make your decision. And and he just was he was just too slow making decisions. And the same thing happened at the other blue line where somebody got him the puck and he was wide open and he just froze with it. And then some star came and a jailbreak was on. And I just I don't get it. I mean that, the guy has just been so erratic this series. Had some outstanding games and then the rest of the time just kind of wonder what's going on. And and uh, he I mean his confidence must. Uh, uh, must change with the wind. I don't know what it is, but well, uh, it's his was, pers- uh, it's his <clears throat> effort level that he's not consistent with. Because when he's he's another one when he's moving his feet, mm-hmm. he plays well. And if when he's moving his feet, and then he's and he's also playing physical. Tonight there was moments where I thought, okay, why don't you at least hit that guy, and you do something. But he didn't. So Jujar Kara has got to get in his head. I'm going to move my feet and I'm going to hit someone. And if he does those two things, then the other things, everything else is going to happen for him. It all comes together, but it's when he starts to think, well, I'm going to make plays and do this and get complicate things. Like he's, he can't play a complicated game and yeah, that, I don't know that he was just, there was anyway, lots of frustration on Twitter about him. I know for him, for Nuge, it was three, three, four, 22 against for chase on. It was one, four, 19 against. I mean, the line just oh. got caved. They just got caved. Uh, and Anuj and especially Chason had their moments on special teams. Uh, and Caro had an all right shift on one of the penalty kills. Uh, yeah. But they, uh, as a line, they just didn't they just didn't gel at all. He seems to be fairly solid in the PK, actually, because it's more mm-hmm. structured. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he knows what he's supposed to do. It's, very, it's a simple task. It's not a lot. You just, you just do it. And he seems to be okay. Like he's not like Cassian last year or the last few years who was just getting eaten alive on the PK. So you got to give him credit, but, um, man, it even strength. I, I think he's earned a, a press box spot and Patrick Russell should get, try that line with Patrick Russell and see if it works any better because it might, mm-hmm. um, can't, it can't be any worse. My, my number Bruce is, is five, which was the number of major mistakes on Grady scoring chances against the Jujar Kara made that game. Hey. So uh, two of them were sh- at shorthanded, um, okay. but uh, five for a forward is a, atrocious. The, you know, that's kind of like th- a month's worth kind of. <laughs> when you're generating nothing at the other end. Yeah. It's, it's, like, you know, he it's just, a real double whammy. Yeah, so you know the Oilers have a lot of these forwards who are kind of similar. They're they're um, hardworking guys, and um, generally speaking, so and Kara when he's working hard, he can play in the NHL, I believe. But how many years have we been watching this player? And 
the You're effort still isn't consistent, and he he's got to get it in his head. He could make Jujar Kara could still make ten to twenty million dollars as an NHL hockey player if he just gets it in his head. Just think you just think of that every, before every game. If I move my feet as fast as I can and I hit every chance I get, I can make twenty million dollars in the next uh, six or seven or eight years. Maybe that's a little bit much, but you know if he scores twelve to fifteen goals which he's capable mm-hmm. of doing, and he kills penalties, yeah, mm-hmm. he could make that amount of money. So that's what he's got to tell himself. Yeah, well, he's had trouble. Like, for some time I praised his ability to uh, win the battles and hold the puck in the offensive zone. But some of the decisions he makes, and just the time it takes him to make them in the defensive zone, uh, that's been a problem for a long time, like turnovers behind his own blue line. And... Uh, when you have forwards turning the puck over in your own end of the ice, you know, bad things tend to happen thereafter. And, yes. Yeah, there was one yeah. four-on-four situation where he got the puck, and mm-hmm. he was wide open in the middle of the Oilers' defensive zone, and he just kind of stood there. Yes. And suddenly it turned in from a moment of, adv- of advantage where you have possession four-on-four and you should do something. Four-on-four, don't put out Juju Kara. That's what I'm saying All from now on. All of a sudden, they're chasing they were, the puck they were, in their own yeah, end again. They started to get cycled against because he didn't really know what to do in that moment. Yeah, so His decision-making tonight was, was uh, uh, could be measured in geological time. Oh, man. So do you have a other number? Yeah, I have, I have a number, and this this is a variation of one I gave last night, uh, last week, but it's so much more exceptional. I'm going to do it again. Thirty nine, and that's the number of total faceoffs in this game. Thirty nine faceoffs. So there's thirty six whistles, because of course every every period starts with a faceoff, and it doesn't end with a whistle. So uh, uh, thirty six whistles in sixty minutes of hockey, and it was just go 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 go. There, there was. Uh, uh, and not necessarily lots of scoring chance action, but lots of action. You know, the puck was on the move all the time. It was being battled for, you know, in all areas of the ice. And, I mean, at times there was, I think, at least three extended battles of 15 or more seconds where the thing was frozen along the wall and both teams were just bashing away at the puck and each other <laughs> for that extended period. But it really was a, a flow um kind of game you know when they dropped the puck and they played hockey and the way they went for minutes on end and and i love to watch that so bruce the Oilers now have 42 points in 36 games they have 19 wins and 17 losses mm-hmm. so they're two games above real 500 and i my, my theory always is if you're a real 500 team that you'll make the playoffs generally speaking almost every year in the nhl so that's the goal 19 and 17 that was a huge game tonight because it kept mm-hmm. them two games above real 500. And uh, so they're tied for sixth overall in the NHL, but oh. there's, there's um, six teams tied for six. pack there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> six teams tied for sixth. Wow. Six teams tied. And then Vegas <sighs> is just one point behind them and Calgary's one point behind them. And yeah, there's this huge, but then there's a quite a, there's a bit of a gap after that. Uh, yeah. Vancouver's they, yeah, a bit of a gap after that. So. They absolutely had to stop the bleeding. They had to stop the bleeding. You know, it's actually the same city. They won a huge game in the 2016-17 season in Dallas, a little bit earlier in the season. That was the year they started off 9-3-1, and and then all of a sudden they went on the tank, and they lost five straight in regulation. And they dropped to 9-8-1, and and they were going, oh, no, here come the Oilers. And they went into Dallas, who was pretty hot at the time, and you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh. And they put that time Connor McDavid on a line with Yessa Pugliarvi. 
and I think it was the first time they played together. Paul Jarvie mm-hmm. was a, was a rookie that year, and McDavid got I believe it was his first career hat trick in Dallas, and the Oilers won five to two, and they that basically staunched the bleeding of a five-game losing streak that time, a four-game losing streak this time. So let's hope it's the beginning of something uh, bigger and better ahead. And even that time, you know, it wasn't like they just completely turned it around, but they stopped the slide, and then they started to, you know, regain some traction, and then they took off a little bit later than that. But uh, this was a big win in the, in the pitcher, at least in the snapshot of this moment. This, this win looks really big. Yeah, I like this team. And it's gratifying to see them bring their A game and play their A game, which is, which needs to be, (laughs) yeah, for which needs to be based on really hard work on defense and smart play on defense. They're the only team in the top 14 teams in the NHL right now that's giving up more than three goals a game. They're at 303. So in the last month, they've just had a terrible time on defense. They finally showed tonight a signal that maybe they're think they're taking this seriously and they're going to start covering that defensive slot again. They were really were packing it into the slot and taking care. So big win tonight, Bruce, really mm-hmm. big. What's their next game? Yeah. Oh, they're in St. Louis against the Stanley cup champion. So out of the frying pan of the fire, that's two more nights from now on the 18th. Uh, what's that Wednesday night? So uh, that's, um, um, but already, I mean, just by winning one of the two games on the road trip, I mean, that was sort of the minimum they had to come home with, with at least two points. And ideally, you know, anything you get in St. Louis is a bonus. So did you want to talk about the Hull trade any further? Or you said what? Um, so, I, well, I could say one thing about it. I, yeah. I kind of looked at it com- like, so, so I was trying to think like a comparable package from the Oilers. What would it have been? And okay. w- would we have gone for that or not? So what I came up yeah. with. There's a there's a defenseman called Ball who went to like listen hardly anyone's heard of these players that went from Arizona to um to um prospects but well they're off the, they're off the B roll of prospects aren't they so, by and large? yeah definitely Merkley's kind of the equivalent of Connor Mc, or, uh, Cooper Marodi right now mm-hmm. uh, Nick Merkley he's 22 he's got like 16 points three goals and 26 games in the AHL so he's kind of the equivalent of Marodi kind of a good offensive player. At the AHL, or I know you know an okay to good offensive player at the AHL level this year, but he's never really panned out. Nick Merkley. He's not that um, younger guy. You know he's twenty two, and so uh, the defenseman. Uh, this is six seven OHL defenseman. I was kind of thinking his comparable would be Dmitry Samarukov on the Oilers. So and then the there was another forward, a lesser forward OHL forward, and I thought Kirill Maximov was probably a fairly good comp. So if the Oilers were to make that a similar kind of package, it would have been Samarukov, Marodi, um, Kirill Maximov, a conditional third-round pick, and mm-hmm. a top-three lottery-protected first-round pick, which is actually pretty significant because if you just don't, if you don't make the playoffs and you're like the 14th overall team, the 14th pick isn't. That's not a killer to lose, but it's a killer if you win the lottery. Win the lottery, and, and you don't. And so, so Arizona yeah. might, or Arizona or the Oilers might not win the lottery this year, but mm-hmm. they're probably not going to like crash to the bottom of the league mm-hmm. standings. That would be highly unusual. Yeah. So, um, I don't. I, I'm kind of on the fence, Bruce, about yeah. the whole thing. Whether I would make that trade of all that stuff to get Taylor Hall for. For for as a rental, I'm kind of if they had done it, I wouldn't have complained. If they they didn't do it, I'm not going to complain. But if I'm completely honest, what I didn't want to see and and what I really don't is Taylor Hall in Edmonton on a long term contract. 
and that's going to really upset a, a certain percentage, 20% of Oilers fans to hear that. But I just don't see him as a good bet um, because of his injury history, because he's a speed player um, and speed players, like all players, tend to start to decline in their 30s. I don't see Taylor Hall as a as a great bet for the amount of money he's going to be getting over six or seven years. Probably was the deal is going to be like nine million, ten million. Mm-hmm. That is not what I'm hoping for the Oilers. I don't think it's the right move for the Oilers, and I think it's much less likely to happen now. What's your thought? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's an interesting package that they gave up. I mean, you can say that. Um, New Jersey gave up one asset to get Hall, and they got five in return for him, and you'd be right. Uh, but you'd also be right if you said they gave up one NHLer to get Hall, and they received none to this moment <laughs> in time. Good in framing. The five-person five package. I mean, obviously, the two draft picks, especially the first rounder, has got a decent chance. But, I mean, Kevin Ball is, like, second-round pick, 55th overall. In 2018, I guess he's tracking well, but he's not exactly what you call a sure thing. No. And um, Merkley, like Sam uh, right? I mean, Merkley played with Drysaddle in junior, right? Like he's not a he's not a kid. Like he's not no. like a 21 year old in the AHL. And uh, the third fellow, I haven't looked him up yet, but uh, he was sort of a new name, and I don't think he was high on their prospect list. Third and round then pick. It's the draft picks. And then I mean, and then bear in mind that uh, New Jersey ate half of Hall's cap so that Arizona could fit him in. So from Arizona's perspective, I mean, in the short term, they kept their entire team and they added Taylor Hall. I mean, that's a fantastic trade in terms of their immediate prospects for 2019-20. And in the case of uh, of um, Arizona, to me, Hall comes in and he immediately becomes their offensive catalyst. Uh, him and, and Phil Kessel would be certainly their two most accomplished offensive players. And if Edmonton went out and got that guy, uh, he would not come in and immediately be their, you know, number one offensive catalyst. It's just, you know, it's just the way it is. I mean, Everton does need help on two left wing, but Taylor Hall really is a one left wing. And how good does that fit? I don't know. I mean, in fifteen sixteen, when he and McDavid were together, when McDavid was out, Hall, Hall piled up a lot of points. And then when McDavid came back, Hall kind of went... Uh, a little bit quiet down the stretch. And, I mean, the team was out of contention and, you know, there was other factors at play. But uh, I think in Arizona, where they're really going to give him a chance to be the top dog, top desert dog, uh, he uh, he might really jump on that bone and, and uh, uh, you know, make make a meal of it. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun and exciting to watch him in the Pacific Division and he could, he could be a game changer. But... Uh, it would be a different game that he'd be trying to change in Edmonton. I'm not sure the fit was ever there. I I like the idea of Hall and Drysaddle together again. They they were fantastic. I thought that year, and could be again. So um, yeah, I wasn't. I was okay, kind of with Hall as a rental, and I don't think Arizona pl- paid in the end a, a killer price um, for Hall as a rental, as you say, not one NHLer, and there may never be. So. Um, and and you know it would be if the you know if the rumor of the Oilers or this maybe was just fans concocting this but like Caleb Jones Jesse Puljujarvi in a second round pick, I would have taken that personally because mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of Caleb Jones I think he's I think he's he's not playing his A game yet in Edmonton he's kind of playing his B or C game he's he's finding his way around with this new coaching staff he's he hasn't reached the level he played last year but I like Caleb Jones and he's a, I think an NHL player right now. 
Uh-huh. Yes, he pulled a RV, I think, could be an NHL player right now and uh, apparently had a hell of a game for Finland against Sweden. And, um, yeah, I would have taken that if that was the offer. I don't know if it was, if they offer both those pieces and a second for, for Hall. I, but, I, you know, I don't watch these prospects. That mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe the, so I can't really say. Uh, I can't really compare the two packages. Alrighty. Yeah, that's, it, is pretty, it is pretty hard to do for sure. Yeah. And they, so they, I mean, the first round pick was a key part of it. And there's the third rounder in 2021. It could get upgraded to a second or even a first if certain things happen. If Arizona makes the playoffs and wins a round and re-signs Hall, then it gets bumped all the way up to a first-round pick. Arizona kept hold of its top two prospects, mm-hmm. um, yep. Hayton and Soderstrom. I mean, Hayton's mm-hmm. kind of on the Coyotes, right? Um, mm-hmm. He's playing for Team Canada, though. Yep. But they they kept hold of those two guys. I, I don't on Team Sweden. Yeah. So did Vegas? Like, so Vegas didn't. I they they kept hold hold a glass um, there for, but they they had to give up um, Brandstrom, who might have been their second top prospect. I'm not exactly. Right. sure about that but he was i think higher rated than anyone um that went over to uh, new jersey today um mm-hmm. brandstrom went to ottawa in the in the mark stone trade yeah. so and we'll see what phoenix, happens phoenix picked up a prospect from uh, new jersey as well uh, but I, I have an idea that was a contract dump yeah. of the you know the type of guy that totally. we got back for nail yakupov that one time you know just to just to make the number of contracts fit i didn't recognize the name at all and I was out at the time. I haven't really had a chance to look at all the names involved in the trade in any sort of detail. Because, of course, the orders were playing, and that's my number 50, one. 50,000 bonus points, Bruce, if you can name the, that guy that came over in the Yakupov trade. Oh, man, I had it for so long. <laughs> I, I remembered his name. He was on the 50-man list, so I had him, but oh, oh, he slipped away. Was he a forward? He slipped away. Well, he was a... He was a non-entity. You're going to make me look it up. I should remember it, but uh, I uh, I don't. Uh, Yakupov, are you Niall? There you are. Find him. Show trades. Uh, Zach Zach Pachiro. Pachiro. Zach Pachiro, who's played in his career five AHL games and about 200 in the ECHL. So that kind of tells you what kind of player he is. Sounds like a a Jedi Knight name. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there. Thanks for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.